Uh, If you have your Bibles uh, out, open them up to Romans chapter 5. If you don't have them out, get them out and then open them up to Romans chapter 5. If you need a Bible, there are some Bibles in the back of the room, but uh, we always encourage you to to look at it with your eyes to to see the Word of God. Um, We're going to read from verses 1 through verses 11. Verse 1 through verse 11. There you go. So Romans 5, verse 1 through 11. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoiced in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today, before your word, and we do so eagerly, expectantly. Um, We know that you will do your work, and we ask that we would be given eyes and ears to see and hear it clearly, to understand it rightly that the spirit that you have poured into our hearts because of your love would stir us to a new joy, a new uh, worshiping, rejoicing in what you have done. We know that your word will accomplish all that you've sent it out to do, that it will not return void. And so we eagerly look forward to what you intend for us to understand and to grow in this day. I pray that our time would honor you above all things for your glory, for our good. It is because of Christ that we can pray. Amen. Well, I truly hope that our time this morning is refreshing for your soul, Christian. The text that we are diving into should provide such assurance. It should stir in the hearts of those whom God has saved a true rejoicing. Those who have been justified by faith have peace with God through Jesus' finished work. 
All who have peace were at one time enemies because all mankind, everyone born of a man and a woman after Adam, are enemies with God because of their sin. The scriptures are clear that we should not be surprised when those of the world hate God and therefore hate those whom God has saved. Those of this world hate God's word because it shows them that they are sinners, that they fall short of God's righteous requirements, and that due to that, they are enemies of God. Christian, we must remember that we were once God's enemy. Notice there were two key words in the larger text that I read this morning. There was peace and there was enemy. If you are here this morning and are still an enemy with God, I pray that you would hear the gospel truths from this passage and that you would repent of your sin and find true eternal assurance and rejoicing in Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I pray this morning that those here who are enemies would leave as adopted sons and daughters of the King. And that those here who have been saved by grace would leave with a renewed sense of their security in the finished work of Christ. With that, uh, I have five main points from our text this morning. So if you're a note taker, I'm hopeful that this will be a blessing to you uh, for your retention. The, The first point that I have from our text this morning is peace with God, the hope of glory. The second point that I have is to rejoice in your sufferings. The third point is a focus on God's perfect timing. The fourth point is this, that we are justified by his blood and saved by his life. And then the last point is that we should rejoice in our reconciliation. So, uh, peace with God, the hope of glory. Rejoice in your suffering, God's perfect timing, justified by his blood, saved by his life, and rejoice in reconciliation. Uh, Even though there are five points, it shouldn't be an extremely long sermon, so uh, if you're starting to get worried, don't. Uh, I will uh, try to keep it in a good uh, time avenue this morning. So, uh, beginning with point one, peace with God, the hope of glory, Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoiced in the hope of the glory of God. Our passage begins with a therefore. Previously to this chapter, Paul is building upon what he has already declared in the previous chapters of Romans and uh, the verses of his letter to the Romans. He's really kind of uh, giving his his treatise, his uh, very detailed unpacking of what the gospel is to this church who was not part of God's family, the, the Gentiles, those who would be foreign to a right understanding of God and who he is and what he's done. 
And so we see in Romans chapter 1, he, he begins with, he's not ashamed of the gospel, and then he quickly goes to telling all mankind that they're without excuse, that those who have denied God know that God exists. They, they know because of what God has created. And so they won't be let off the hook, so to speak. They won't be able to deny what God has made clear. And then it goes down this long list of sins and, and that those sins are deserving of death. And then Paul says, and we are all guilty of them. And as he continues, he says, because of sin, the wage we deserve is death. And then he turns the corner, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And so in chapter 4, Paul is really talking about Abraham and uh, how Abraham was justified by his faith, not by his works, but by faith alone. And then we come here to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoiced in the hope of the glory of God. Salvation is the work of God. It is secured by God through faith in his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Therefore, since salvation is through faith alone, and faith is God's work in man's heart because he is gracious, therefore, since we are justified by this faith, we have peace with God. Our our relationship, our standing with the one true God is one of peace. We're no longer enemies. We are no longer at war with God. We have peace because God has granted us faith in his Son and has justified us through this faith by the finished work of Jesus, who is the object of our faith. Christian, since you believe that Jesus died for your sin, that he rose again, that he is the God-man, you have been justified by his sacrificial substitutionary death and secured by his glorious resurrection from the grave. Because of this, Christian, you have a new relationship, a new standing with God, and it's one of peace. We who have been saved by God through faith have peace because of the work that Jesus did on our behalf, the very work and the very Lord in whom we have our faith. Christian, is your heart and mind at war within yourself? Well, of course it is. God would not give us so many commands about putting off the old self and putting on Christ, doing battle with the flesh and, and striving to honor the Lord if we never had any struggle, if we weren't in a real battle, a real war within ourselves. However, Christian, you need to know that you now have peace with God no matter what that internal war looks like. You have peace with God through faith. This faith was not your own doing. 
It was a gift of God. All external. Not internal, like the war that we're called to wage daily. Now this justification by faith, which gives us peace with God, also gives us access by faith to God's abundant grace. The passage says it's the grace that we stand upon. It's our foundation. Because we know his grace, which saved us through faith and produced justification and peace, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Believer, has your battle against the flesh and sin produced within you a tiredness, perhaps a doubt, maybe a hopelessness? Has it produced within you a a lack of rejoicing, a sort of melancholy or downheartedness? Then look to our passage and be reminded that you are possessors of peace with God that his mercies are new each day, that the same grace that God saved you with through faith is the same grace that he lavishes upon you, yes, even now, even in your failure to put the flesh away, even in your struggles. His grace is the ground on which we stand as believers You see, the temptation in in our struggles and in our wrestling in the real spiritual warfare that is going on all the time, the temptation is to begin to doubt our faith, to feel weighed down by the exhausting battle against sin and the old self. And it is exhausting. But the Word of God calls us to switch our focus from the tiring battle to the glorious realities that we are at peace with God, even though our hearts and minds are in an exhausting, heavy war. You are no longer an enemy with God, Christian. You are now at peace, and you have access to his abundant grace. Do not fall for the temptation that so readily presents itself to perhaps cause doubt and a heavy heart. Rather, to turn your eyes from the failure, from the the weight of the struggle, from the, the work that is before us each day. Don't leave your gaze there, but see it and then turn your eyes to the finished work of God. Remember that his mercies are new each day. Remember that you are justified through faith. There's no wrath remaining for you. And that you have access to the abundant grace of the Lord with which you stand on and then hope in the glory of God. Christian, lift up your eyes and see that your works never saved you. And therefore your failures are not unsaving you. You must switch your focus. Look to God today, see his mercies, rest upon his grace, and rejoice in the hope of his glory. I I pray that this truth from God's word would revive your heavy heart this morning and stir within you a new focus and joy in the finished work of your Lord and King Jesus.
Hope is the assurance of things not yet seen. Well, why do we hope in the glory of God? Well, because we know that God cannot fail. So we are assured of what we have not yet seen because of the one in whom we hope is our unfailing God. Now again, it bears repeating, if you have not trusted in the finished work of Jesus, if you do not believe that he was raised from the dead or that he is God, if you do not desire to bow your knee to him as Lord, then none of this hope is for you yet. The opposite of these things is where you live. You aren't at war with your old self because you are enslaved to your old self. And I do not love you if I am unwilling to tell you that you are an enemy of God. If you remain in this position relationally to God, you will suffer eternally for your sin, and rightly so. So I plead with you this morning to repent of your sin, to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to turn from the things that you now pursue unto pursuing the things that the Lord has declared are good. Every one of us here who have been saved were once like you. We were enemies. But God, not us, God in his mercy granted us faith. We did nothing to deserve this. We could never earn it in any way and neither can you. It was all the grace and mercy of God. Oh, that God would give you this grace that you would not leave here this morning as his enemy. That is a battle you cannot win. Moving on to our second point, rejoice in your sufferings. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. Not only that, so not, not only the, the hope in the glory of God, not only the justification that we have through faith, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Christian, when God saves you, he comes to dwell with you in a unique and special way. God, the Holy Spirit, dwells within each genuine believer. There is no temple that we go to to uniquely be in the presence of the Lord. The scripture actually refers to our own bodies as the temple of the Holy Spirit. The unique presence of the Holy Spirit is now within us as believers. And so God has poured his love into our hearts through his giving us of the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. This is another sweet blessing of God's mercy to us who have been saved. Now, um, don't think that I'm going to skip over the suffering part. We're coming back to it. I just wanted to kind of work backwards a little bit to, to undergird the point of the suffering. The hope of glory that is built upon in our text is assured to us through the love of God, who has not only given his Son for our salvation, 
but has also given us the Holy Spirit in a very unique, special way. And in this, we see God lavishing his grace upon us, not only to save us, but to dwell with us personally in the person of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we must remember in our sufferings that God is at work. When we fail, God cannot fail. So rather than fixing your eyes on the failures, fix your eyes on God within you who cannot fail to accomplish his work. Focusing on God and remembering that his word tells us that he will do all his holy will. He cannot deny himself. He dwells within each genuine believer through the person of the Holy Spirit. This is why Philippians 2 calls us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling because the Lord is at work within us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I fear that far too many times we stay focused on our own failures and shortcomings. We begin to fear like one who has not been given faith. We begin to doubt our salvation, but that is not the fear and trembling that the Philippians passage is speaking of. The proper course for us to take is to be reminded that God has secured our salvation that we stand upon his grace, that Jesus has given us access to the Father's grace through faith in him. And because of that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Why do we rejoice? Suffering is not fun. From a human perspective, suffering is miserable. How do you rejoice in suffering? Well, you do it by changing your focus off of the suffering to the fruit that God has promised he will produce in us through the suffering. Yes, God ordains suffering for us so that we will grow in righteousness. Our, our suffering is not a shock to God. It, it's not outside of his sovereign power or providence. Rather, it is a means that God uses as the first cause of all things to Grow us. Now, because God is omniscient, he, he knows that we tend to look inward while suffering and doubt his goodness and his sovereignty. Therefore, he reminds us in his word that suffering is good and that he, God, uses it for the purpose of growing us. He reminds us that we ought not to sit in our suffering, kind of staring at it with all of our focus and just that the only thing we're really longing for is relief from this thing. It's just, it's just too much for me. Rather, we ought to be reminded that God is at work producing in us endurance, growing our character, and giving us a hope that will not put us to shame. What is this hope? Again, it is the hope of the glory of God in which we are secure 
because he alone has saved us. God cannot fail. Therefore, believer, you have a rock-solid hope in him. Not in yourself. For the unbeliever, I pose this question, what are you hoping in? You know that God exists. He has made himself clear through his creation. And yet you refuse to acknowledge him or give thanks to him because you want to be your own God, to make your own rules. Romans 1 declares this clearly and says that you are without an excuse. Whatever it is that you set your hope in will fail you. There is only one hope, and that is found through faith in Jesus. What comfort can you find in suffering if you've denied the sovereign Lord of all? The suffering of the unbeliever produces hopelessness and bitterness toward the God they deny exists. It increases the sin of their character. It does the opposite of what it does for the believer. Again, I I say this sincerely to you as a plea from me, as a command from God to repent of your sin, to turn from it, to trust in Jesus Christ, the only Lord of all, the only Savior. Christian, are you lacking in your character growth through your suffering? Perhaps it is because your suffering or uh, the deceitfulness of sin has caused you to become completely focused on your failures rather than on the God of your salvation. Turn, 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 turn your eyes again to him, the founder and perfecter of your faith, and have your hope renewed in his promises and sovereignty. When we see this, when we consider these realities with a proper focus, we can rejoice in our suffering because we trust in the work of God, not in the work of us. It doesn't feel like I'm growing. It seems like I'm only wrestling with more. I'm not, I don't know why this suffering's here. I'm not seeing it. Well, stop looking at yourself then. Look to the God who saved you who sent his son to die for you. Trust that he will do it. I may not be able to see it in the moment. I may not be able to see it for a long time, but I know the God who saved me, and I know what he has promised. That's what I hope in. God never fails. Let us, whom he has saved, remember this truth and focus on him in our sufferings. Point three, God's uh, perfect timing. Romans 5, 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I think it can be easy to miss the very specific words in this first verse and therefore some of the details that the Lord intends for us to see. For while we were still weak, 
at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God sovereignly chose the perfect time in human history for Christ to be born. God providentially ordained the death of his son at the hands of guilty, wicked, sinful men. And God did this for those who were ungodly. If God, who declares the beginning from the end, who upholds the universe with his power, who spoke nothing into everything created by his own very words, has chosen to sacrifice Jesus for the ungodly before they were good or could do any good, then who can change that? God displays his love for you, Christian, in that while you were weak, while you were an enemy, at his chosen and perfect time, at the right time, he ordained that Jesus would die for you. Consider this. Why do we turn our focus inward when we are struggling, when we are suffering, when it is God who has done the amazing work of salvation for us who were weak, ungodly enemies? God could have simply wiped man off the face of the earth. He would have been just to do it. He'd be just to do it right now. If God has saved you in his timing, apart from you, this is an external work, then see this amazing love for you and the reality that God did this while you were ungodly, while you were weak, while you were an enemy, because he chose the perfect time to do it so that you would know it's not because of you. It's because of him. God's grace, particularly in his timing, is clear when we realize that he did it in this specific manner to show you that this was not your work. It was owing nothing to you. It was not your merit. It was not what you could possibly do in the future. It was all because of the grace and love of God. If salvation is God's work done outside of you and it is God that applies it to you, then why do you focus so much on your work and begin to doubt the love and salvation of God when you are struggling? God wants us to know through his word how rock solid our salvation is through faith. So far in these eight verses alone, we see that we are justified before God. We are at peace with God. We have access to his abundant grace. We can rejoice in the hope of God's glory because he has done all of this. We can rejoice in our sufferings because God is at work in us. He has poured his spirit into us as a proof of his love for us. And God did all of this while we were weak, ungodly enemies. So are you struggling lately? Do you feel weak and ungodly? Are you perhaps practically living like you remain an enemy of God? Christian, turn your eyes again to God 
to what he has done. Remember this. While you were weak, while you were dead in your sin, while you were an enemy to God, Jesus died for you. God reconciled you through the blood of Jesus while you were his enemy. If he died for you then, as an enemy, do you think he will now hand you over to your suffering and abandon you as a beloved son or daughter of him? Of course he won't. This is Paul's point in the text. Just consider what the passage is saying and hear it with fresh ears. Men don't give their life for wicked men who are their enemies. Men don't usually give their life for a righteous man. Perhaps men might be willing to die for a good man. But God gave the life of Jesus for you, Christian, while you were an enemy. When you grasp that massive reality, you you cannot help but know that God will not now hand you over to your failures and your sin. See his glorious grace and kindness towards you in Christ Jesus this morning and take heart. Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God who saved you by grace through faith even when you were an enemy. Take this truth and let this rejoicing remind you to fight the battle against sin and your old self. Let it reinvigorate you, energize you. Let it restore some some health to your dried out and weary bones so that you will do battle. This isn't supposed to remove the battle. But remind yourself that you have been justified before the one true righteous and holy God because of his work, not yours. You are no longer a slave to the old self, to the flesh. You are no longer in bondage to only carrying out evil desires. Don't be fooled by the deceitfulness of sin, which only aims to get at God, cares nothing for you. You have been set free by the blood of Christ. So focus on that again and let it stir your heart to rejoice. Point four, justified by his blood and saved by his life. Romans 5, 9, and 10. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Hope you see some added layers of assurance in our passage now. Paul's aim after telling the Romans the bad news of sin and its consequences is now to unpack the glorious realities of salvation through faith by grace alone. Since therefore we have now been justified by Jesus' blood, we're no longer guilty, we're justified much more shall we be saved by Jesus from the wrath of God. Christian, you have been justified. That's past tense. It's done already. You're justified. Your justification is finished. Romans 8.1 declares that there is, therefore now, not tomorrow or some future time, but now, 
no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Follow the logic of Paul's argument here in Romans chapter 5. If God justified you through the blood of his Son while you were his enemy, then surely, or as Paul put it, much more, now that you are reconciled, you shall be saved by Jesus' life. God does not do something halfway like you and I do. He doesn't begin something and then just, well, that was close enough. We'll just leave it there. I'm, I'm the worst. Don't ask my wife. She'll tell you. God is not one who fails to fully accomplish all of his holy will. If he justified you by the very blood of his son while you were an enemy then surely the perfect, sinless life of his Son, the glorious resurrection which proves the finished work of Christ was sufficient and that Jesus is now alive, is a testimony to us that we can rest assured that we will be saved by his life. Paul's argument is that Jesus' finished work, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection, and the reality that he is no longer dead but alive means that his work on your behalf will surely keep you in his grip. His work justified you. His work sanctifies you. It secures you even unto death. Christian, if your current suffering does lead to death, and it could, the Lord doesn't promise us that that won't happen. In fact, he promises us we'll all meet that end at some point. But if it does lead to death, you will awaken to everlasting life with the treasure of your heart, Jesus Christ, your Lord. That's why Paul says it's gain to live as Christ, to die as gain. So even if your suffering does bring you there, see what the Lord has done through your salvation and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus to you. This is what Paul declares in Romans 8. Very, very famous passage, often uh, shared at at different times, but we're going to read it again anyways. Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you see the repetitiveness of what Paul's saying? He just said that in Romans 5, in the passage we read. If God justified you by the blood of his son, surely he's going to save you from the wrath through the life of his son. Romans 8 says it again. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Are are you feeling accusations from your sin? Are, Are you believing lies? Now you did it again. Surely you're not saved. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, not the elect. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Right now, he's interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? 
As it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christian, if God is for you, then nothing in all creation, yes, that includes you yourself, nothing can separate you from God. He will not allow it, Christian. Paul is building out this argument to give you assurance in your salvation. He doesn't want your suffering or any other things in your life to cause you to doubt. He aims to draw your heart and mind to the glorious realities of God and your salvation from him. The unfortunate reality for many, if not most, is that during our struggles, during our failures, we start to believe the deceitfulness of sin. And we become solely focused on our lack of fruit. We begin to doubt our salvation. Now we are to do some serious self-evaluation. God's word calls us to consider the reality of what it means to be in the faith, to examine yourselves. However, if all we ever do is look inward, well, guess what? It's not going to be hard to convince yourself that you aren't saved. If salvation were up to us, none of us would make it. If we could somehow believe on our own apart from the work of God, we will also stop believing on our own. 100%. Every single believer, if it was up to you. Paul's point, and of course, therefore, God's point to you, is that salvation belongs to him. It was his work, start to finish. He sent his son and his timing. He sanctified you. He gave you a new heart. He caused you to believe. Your faith is a gift because of God's mercy and grace, not something you did. And if he sacrificed his son when you were an enemy and ungodly, surely he will carry you on through this unto salvation. So if you've been in a dark season, if you've been struggling to find hope in God, if you're worried that your failures and perhaps even your lack of love for God will prove you to not truly be his, then I hope you see the word of God this morning clearly. If this is you, I, I am glad in a sense that it weighs on you because it should. It should be a terrifying reality. The only thing I must say to you, like our text declares, is this. Your salvation was never secured by you. Your failures were far greater when Christ Jesus died for you. So examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. The Word of God calls us to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not bad. But before you sit there too long, before you become tempted to believe the deceitfulness of sin, let the warnings of God through his word redirect your focus and turn your eyes to God and believe. It's God who saves. 
Trust in Jesus. Remember the mercies of God are new each day. If God had Jesus die for you when you were a wretch, then surely he will save you and finish the work he began in you, even now in this dark or hard season of your life, even when you fail to live up to the calling that he has given you as a believer. Let me say it this way. We are to examine ourselves. Jesus teaches us a lot about a tree and its fruit. But Jesus also teaches us that he is the vine and that we are the branches. Are you producing bad fruit? Then stop looking inward to yourself and return your focus to the vine, the only source you have of producing good fruit. I know that there's a tension here. What I aim to do is to encourage you to not sink in the overwhelming focus of your failure. Rather, see it, take heed of it, be warned by God's word about it, repent of it, and turn again to Christ, keeping your eyes set upon him as the prize. Remember the work of God done on your behalf. This is how you come out of that dark season. You don't do it by focusing on the darkness. You do it by looking toward the light of Christ. Christian, the warnings of God are meant to draw you back into focusing on him. They're meant to be feared and to be clear so that you would remember your great need for God and your salvation. They are not meant for you to stir on them solely, only, forever. God's warnings aren't, aren't meant for you to just focus there. They're meant to change something. They're meant to stir in your heart this weighty desire to try. Sorry, they are not meant to stir in your heart this weighty desire to try and earn your salvation. You could never do that in the first place. If your deeds could not save you, then your failures do not unsave you. Salvation belongs to God. So stop focusing on them as if somehow they could bring you life if you could just get those tucked away. See them, be warned by God about them, and turn your focus back to the God of your salvation. Point five, rejoice in reconciliation. Romans 5, 10 and 11. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. I went back to verse 10 for context. It wasn't an error that I read it again here. The amazing truth that we are saved and reconciled to God by the death of Jesus and that in him we have life through his life is incredible. It's almost hard to fathom all the glories of that truth. But Paul doesn't want it to end there. He says more than that. More than that, Paul? <laughs> More than the amazing truths of our salvation, our justification, our hope of glory, our rejoicing in our sufferings, our removal of wrath for our sin, our having the Holy Spirit because of the love of God. More than that, we have a deep 
and abounding joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has reconciled us back to God, and we now have a right relational standing with him. God's grace and provision, sorry, God's grace and the provisions that it gives us are amazing. But the greatest of all that we get in salvation is God himself. That's what Paul's saying. More than that, you have God. Yes, you, you've been justified. You'll be saved by the life of Christ. You can rejoice in suffering. There's all of these beautiful realities in salvation. But, but more than that, you get God. You, you have the Lord. We must realize this, Christian. Your joy is profoundly rooted in the realization that you get access to God the Father through God the Son. Your joy is not primarily that you have no wrath remaining. Your joy is that you have God again. You are no longer separated. You are brought back into the Garden of Eden, so to speak, back into a time that we don't know, a time when God was with man in their presence. You're no longer kicked out because of your sin. Surely Adam and Eve missed the ease, the beauty of the garden, but the deepest sting of their sin was their separation from God. The spiritual death they received when they sinned was far heavier than any physical reality and hardship because of the curse. Christian, you get God the Father again through God the Son. You, even now, in your failure, even now in, in your struggle, even now in whatever darkness that you're dealing with, now you have the Father. The Son has ensured it. He sits at the right hand of the Father now, interceding for you. Don't believe a lie that your sin means you can't go to God. The Father says, come. The Son says, I took care of it. I paid for it. You, you have him. The Holy Spirit that convicts you in your heart is telling you. The Father loves you. He gave me to you. Come. Now Paul has also said clearly that we must not go on sinning so that grace may abound. Christian, you know this. Don't hear that you are forgiven and right and think that that means you can simply go on living in sin. If that's what you hear and hold to, you are likely not a Christian. Rather see that this reality is meant to draw your focus off of yourself and your sin and draw it back to the Lord of your salvation. That's what empowers you to put that sin to death and to grow. It should cause us great joy as believers to know that we are secure in Christ so that when we fail, we see it, we call it what it is, we repent of it, and we turn our hearts and our minds back to Christ where we will find joy again. I really hope these truths are a blessing to you this morning. 
I hope that you saw that peace with God is the hope of glory, that you can rejoice in your suffering, that you can trust God's perfect timing, that you're not only justified by his blood, but you are saved by his life. And I hope that it produces a rejoicing in your soul because you have been reconciled. You have God again through Jesus Christ. I truly pray that this time in God's word is refreshing to your soul, to to be practically helpful to. I pray you find your joy in your union with the Father through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. Greater than all realities of your salvation is the reality that you are united again to a right relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Now, I know not everyone is in a place where they are weighed down. Uh, Perhaps you're sitting here this morning going, oh, but that's not me, I'm... I'm doing good. Well, praise the Lord. God has definitely given many a, a, um, a, a spirit of joyful, rejoicing um, you know, heart, even, even in the trials. Praise the Lord for that. That's awesome. Hopefully, this just reaffirms that for you. It just gives you a stronger foundation to stand upon, and hopefully, it gives you some helpful counsel, encouragement for your brothers and sisters who perhaps aren't in that spot, but are dealing with the weight in unique ways. One last note. If you are in this heavy season, perhaps even with all these glorious truths, you still find yourself down, heavy. Know that we, your elders, are praying for you. We love you. Your your brothers and sisters here love you. If you are here this morning and you have proclaimed faith, but you are now growingly concerned, Let me pose this question for your consideration. Instead of focusing on the weight and therefore wondering if your salvation is real, simply ask yourself, do you believe? Do you believe Jesus is God? Do you believe he died and rose again? If your answer is yes, then the failures or darkness you're experiencing don't unsave you. If you believe, then you are a Christian. And I pray that this truth would bring you up out of the mire back into the beautiful hope of the glory of God. Sometimes all you can do is ask yourself, can you deny what you believe to be true, that Jesus is Lord? And if you can't, then praise God. Turn your eyes back to him. All of this church is aimed at stirring your joy in the Lord and your focus from the temporary struggle battle of life back onto the Lord of glory. May God be honored in all we do.